Week two of the Gospel Story Sermon Series. Um, excited that you're here. If you missed last week, you just missed the intro. Um, what we're doing together is over the course of two and a half months, we're walking through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we're looking at the one story, the primary story that God is telling through the Bible. It's a redemption story. And at the center of the story, there's a hero, and the hero's Jesus. And we're looking at how all the little stories in the Bible are all really telling this one big story. And so we're learning that Abraham, he's not the hero of the story. Moses, he's not the hero of the story. King David, he's not the hero of the story. The Apostle Paul wrote most of your New Testament. He's not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story of the Bible. And it's a gospel story. Now, for a lot of us that maybe grew up in church, we hear gospel and we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because those are gospels, okay? That's a, that's a genre of literature that's called gospels, okay? So we have the gospels. But we also think about sharing um, Jesus with a friend or somebody that you meet and you tell them about God's love for them and you invite them to become Christians, okay? That's evangelism. What we're talking about is how the Bible tells one beautiful redemption story from cover to cover, and it is the gospel story. So today we're going to start with creation, day six. I started to say day one. We're going to start on day six in creation, Genesis chapter one. Now, um, through this series, we're not going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. This is going to be an overview, okay? Okay. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how the story begins with creation. We're going to look at the blueprint um, for the universe and specifically the blueprint for our lives. We're going to pick this up in verse 26. So really this is day six of creation. Um, God has already created the universe, physical matter, gravity, time warp continuums, whatever those things are, black holes. He's even began to create organic matter, algae and grass and sunflowers and oak trees, and he's created animals, like birds and fish and seahorses and real horses and zebras that look like horses and giraffes and, and all that has all of creation has been laid out and created except for one thing mankind. And in verse 26, we're going to see the creation narrative really reach its pinnacle moment with the creation of mankind. Verse 26, we read, then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And so with this initial statement, God begins the creation of mankind, human beings, you and I. And buried in that one verse is probably the most important and profound truth that you could hear in the Bible as God lays out, here's the reason why I'm creating you. Not one of the reasons, not one among many reasons, but here is the reason why we are creating man. We're creating man to bear and reflect our image in the world. 
Now, in our American culture and society that would tell you, you can be anything you want to be. Chase after your dreams. If you want something bad enough and you believe it's strong enough, you can achieve it. You can become it. And, and the Bible's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You were created with a purpose. You don't have to make that up. This whole create your own purpose in life, create your own dreams in life and go after them, right? Think of it this way. I, 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 I like to exaggerate the point this way. It doesn't matter how much I want to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. I'm just never going to be able to pull that off. I mean, I know I've got the legs for it, but beyond that, right, the coordination, everything else that's required. It doesn't matter how much I believe it in my heart, how much I want to make it happen. It's just not going to happen, right? It's just not true. And on a more serious note, what God just said is we are going to create mankind and embedded in every human being is going to be a primary, intrinsic, inerrant purpose to reflect my image on the earth. And verse 26, in some ways, is somewhat of a line in the sand. And what God is saying is, I'm going to create something that can do what nothing else that I've created thus far can do, and that is to bear my image. So let's talk for a minute about what it means to be an image bearer for God. What does that mean? Well, think about it this way. Our lives are to be a mirror, a reflection of who he is in the world. And specifically, what we were created to reflect is his character, his beauty, and his worth. His character, his beauty, and his worth. So think of it like this. What is God's character? That means to love the things God loves. And it means to hate the things God hates. It means to do the things God does and to not do the things God doesn't do. So let me make it practical. God doesn't steal, right? So when we choose not to steal, we're reflecting his character. God loves those who are brokenhearted, right? We know that. The Bible tells us that. So when you right, engage in loving someone who's brokenhearted, your life is a mirror in that moment. You're reflecting the character of God to the people around you, the person who's brokenhearted to the other people who are watching. Does that make sense? That's how we reflect his character. When you engage in generosity or kindness, you're reflecting God's character to the world. Let's talk about beauty for a minute. This is a really distorted principle in, in, our, in our culture, isn't it? Um, and, and I always just gravitate straight to the ladies in the room because I think of... I think you guys bear the brunt of this misunderstanding, right? So our culture would say to you, beauty is measured by the shape of your body, your bone structure, your skin tone, the way your hair looks, and your overall attractiveness to the men in your society. And that's the measure of beautiful. And God's word says, well, let's tap the brakes on that. Proverbs 31 says, actually, that's fleeting. That's a moving target. Show me, show me today's you know, supermodel, and in 20 years from now, let's look her up. Right? Nothing's in proportion anymore. Everything's changed. And then culture says what? Oh, she's no longer beautiful, no longer attractive. And Proverbs 31 says, see, that in the eyes of me, that's, that's fleeting. That's vain. Ladies, you want to know what real beauty is? Inward character dignity, strength, 
and a woman who fears the Lord. You see, when we, when we emulate that, when we call things beautiful that God calls beautiful, we're reflecting. We're reflecting who he is in the world around us. How about his worth? You and I are specifically designed and created to reflect God's worth. Now, our culture gets this one messed up. So we measure worth by accumulation of things, like net worth, um, by uh, accomplishments, accolades. Uh, We measure worth by who you know, what groups of people you get invited to hang out with. And that's how our culture measures worth. God measures worth by who you are and by whose you are. Who you are. So as a dad and a husband and a pastor and a friend, you know, I, I wear a lot of hats. But what God's word says to me is that the most important identity marker of my life is not how awesome of a husband I am or how great of a dad I am or how faithful of a friend I am. My, the highest identity marker, the most important identity marker of my life is that I'm his son. You see, who I am is determined by whose I am. And that's where my worth comes from. I can never do anything in life or accumulate enough stuff in life to attain any higher status than that. Everything else will be underneath my identity as his son. Now, I was joking around in one of the other services. It's like if I went to the academy and I bought a pair of uh, golf gloves, and because I'm so lousy in golf, like the I could purchase a, set, a pair of golf gloves for $20, and by the time I walk out the store, they're going to be worth about $2, you know, because I bring no value to the golf glove. But if Tiger Woods walks in and purchases the same golf gloves, as soon as he walks out, they're worth like, what, 2000 on eBay. Why? Because of whose they were. Right? You see how that works? And so you're worth something. Not because of how well you perform or how well you can impress people in this culture. You're worth something because you're his. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to him. And that's where your worth comes from. So as image bearers, it's our intrinsic, inerrant, God-given DNA blueprint that we would reflect who he is to the world around us. We would love things, the things he loves. We would hate the things that he hates. We would call the things beautiful that he calls beautiful. And we would find our worth in him and him alone. Now, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says, that's what you were created to do. Everything else in your life is submissive to that. Right? You're still a dad or a mom or a husband or employee or a, a son or a daughter to your parents, but all of those sub-roles have to come underneath your role of being an image bearer for the king. Now, next what we're going to see in verse 27 is this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. It's repetition, right? We're getting that same theme over and over again. But look at what happens after the semicolon. Male and female, he created them. If you say verse 27 fast, it's almost a tongue twister. 
right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, that verse is written in a very specific way to convey a very specific message. What happened from the beginning of the verse to the end that goes from singular to plural? Does anybody know? I'm glad you asked. So, your Bible is not in perfect chronological order. I don't know if you know this or not. By and large, it's mostly in chronological order, but it's not perfectly in chronological order. So here's, here's some help for you. Genesis chapter 2 is not what happens after the seventh day. It's actually what happens in the middle of the sixth day at the semicolon in verse 27. Now follow me on this. Verse 27 begins, God creates Adam. But by the time the verse ends, we've got Eve. Okay, so if we go to chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18, we'll pick up the story. So God is now in the sixth day creating. He's created Adam. He speaks to Adam. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So, first of all, it is not good is a really significant marker in this verse. How does God stamp the end of every day of creation so that we know that the day is over? What does he say? It's very good. Okay? So, in the middle of day six, God has Adam there and he says, is it it very good? It's not good. It's not complete. It's not finished. The day is not done. It is not good yet. That what? That man should be alone. Now, I think if we run that through our own experiences in life, we would go, oh, poor Adam. He's just lonely. That's what God was saying. He's just sinking into a depression. He just really needs some companionship. He needs somebody to, you know, to, to love and And he's just lonely, but the word in the Hebrew doesn't mean that he's lonely, like an emotional lonely. It's the idea of singular. He's by himself. So God's saying, it's not good, therefore it's not complete that Adam is by himself. We're not done here yet. So what is God's remedy? I will create a helper suitable for him. Now, let's not mess this one up, please, Um, husbands. What God is not saying is that he created for you this wife to come alongside and be your little helper and do all your little projects and serve you, okay? That's not the Hebrew word here. It's actually helpmate. That's a better translation. We just don't use that a lot in English. So what we're describing is this beautiful complementary relationship, okay? Complement in the sense that where I'm weak, she's strong. Where she's weak, I'm strong. And we come together, right, to be better together, complete, complement. So Adam is there before God, and God looks at Adam and says, this is not good yet. Why? Because he doesn't have a woman to nag him? No. He doesn't have a woman to boss around? No. Because it's not, it's not complete yet. Why? Because I still have something to fit into Adam. So I, I use this illustration loosely. So if I, if I need to move the dining room table at my house, it's a big, long table. i got a couple options. I can drag that, that bad boy around. But if I want to pick it up and not scuff up the floor, um, I, don't, I, don't, well, I don't tell my wife anyway, I ask. But I don't 
ask my wife, hey, will you go in there and move the table? What do I do? I walk up to the table and say, hey, would you mind helping me move the table? And what does she do? She goes to the other end, and together we pick up the table and we move it. Now, does that make her of less worth and less value? No, not at all. She's my complement. I need her to move the table. Now, I apply that to everything in life. Raising the children, working through hard situations, balancing the checkbook, making sure that you know, we're, we're managing and stewarding life according to God's plan. My wife is my helpmate. She's my complement in this. Not my servant who does what I say. Now, I'm not disregarding spiritual authority and submission and all those God-given roles in biblical marriage, but this is what we're reading here is God is saying, listen, it's not good because I'm not done creating here. The woman will be the completion of me creating men. Now, why am I... Ex- Why am I exaggerating that point or going to great ends to make that point? Because this takes us right back to our God-given purpose. Adam could not reflect fully who God was by himself. How do we know that? Go back to the pronouns. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Adam was created to reflect a triune God. But he couldn't do it by himself. He needed a helpmate to do this. This is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5 when he quotes Genesis 2. He's saying, listen, this, is, this whole marriage thing is actually meant to be a reflection of something bigger. Your marriage isn't about being happy and meeting one another's needs. The DNA of your marriage is that you would be an image bearer. You would reflect something. You and I were created not only with this purpose of worshiping God by bearing his image in the world, but you and I were created to dwell in community from the beginning. It's not just what we need when we get lonely. It's not just what I need when I need help moving the table. I was created to fit into somebody. Now, apply that to marriage, yes, but then Jesus applies it to the church that you and I would walk in complement relationship. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. He's talking about spiritual giftings. You're an elbow, you're an eye, you're a knee, you're a foot, and you're a hand. We all come together in that complement relationship to make up the body. You and I were created to dwell in community. Now, we're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about how we messed the whole thing up, okay, and how all this is distorted now. But from the beginning, this is how we were created, to dwell in community. Look at verse 28 with me. And God blessed them. You see how it transitions in one verse from one guy to now them? Now, from here on out, he's talking to Adam and Eve. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over. And then he mentions everything. Okay? So let's talk about the dominion and then we're going to talk about multiplying. Okay? We're going to keep it G, rated G, so don't worry, parents. Dominion. Okay? Creation wasn't wasn't formed and fashioned so that you and I can go on this like um, authority tyrant kind of move across the earth and everything submits to us. That idea of having dominion means that you and I were set apart. 
When you and I engage in stewarding and having dominion over the universe, we're also we're, we're bearing the image of God in that, okay? So, hear me on this. Your pets are not members of your family. I know. Just save the hate mail. I'll, I'll put an email address up here you can send your hate mail to. Listen to me. Like, I know, it's, it's funny, but listen. Treat your pets well. Feed them. Take them to the vet when they're sick. Be respectful of your, steward them well like you would anything else in creation. But your pets are not members of the family. Why does that matter? Because you, as a human being, were created set apart. And to put animals on the same plane as human beings is to undo what we just read. We might as well have only had six days of creation. And all the animals and the people were created in day five, and then God rests on the sixth day. But he sets man apart very clearly in this passage to have dominion over, to have set apart purpose, set apart the need to dwell in community. And we're seeing here with multiplication a set apart mission here on earth. You and I were created with a mission. Now, from the beginning, before sin wrecked the place, this was our mission. Be fruitful and multiply. God was building a kingdom of image bearers for himself through multiplication instead of instantaneous creation. Now think about that. He could have created a kingdom of a million people. He just created two. But his decision, his choice, his sovereign plan was to create a kingdom for himself through us, through multiplication. Now, if sin had never entered the world, that was a fantastic plan. The problem is once sin enters the world, right, the whole thing gets wrecked, and then we don't quit multiplying. So guess what happens to sin? It multiplies. And, and it doesn't help to wipe away a generation and start over, does it? We tried that with Noah, right? We tried that in crossing the Jordan River. A whole generation dies, the next generation picks it up. This whole multiplication thing never fixes the sin problem. It just perpetuates it. So we need a different rescue, don't we? This is why Jesus in John 3, talking with Nicodemus, what does he say? You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You don't need to be born. You need to be born again. You've already been born. You're already part of this multiplication of sin thing, right? You need to be born again, born new, born into a new kingdom. What's interesting is that Jesus comes to his disciples, the 11, after Judas bells and says, all right, guys, here's your mission. Guess what it is? Multiplication. It's the same mission. It's different now, but multiplication. What does he say? Go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe and obey all that I've commanded you. Multiplication. See, we invest and we invite, we're engaging in our God-given mission to build his kingdom here on earth. Human beings have never existed without purpose, without deep intrinsic need to dwell in community, and without a mission. And from the beginning, Adam and Eve had a mission. Have dominion over the earth. Be set apart from the rest of creation. Be fruitful and multiply and build for me a kingdom of image bearers. Now, we're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about how all these things get distorted through sin. They all get distorted. I want to land here today, and I'm going to, in just a minute, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. Before we do that, before they come up, I don't know how this sermon series already may be challenging you. It's been challenging me in just very practical, real ways every day. What I'm learning is that even though 
I tell people, I live for God's kingdom, it's his story, not my story. In the small moments of life, I am all too often living for my own kingdom and my own story. You know how I know it? Every time I get angry. Anger is a good indication that the story's not going your way. Right? It is for me. And so I already know I'm struggling with this. And so it's not just a a journey to learn more about the Bible. This is a journey of transformation for us. As we learn this this overarching redemption story in the Bible, our hope and our prayer is that God would do a work in us. That it wouldn't just be head knowledge, right? It wouldn't just be something we could regurgitate, but that we would truly be a people, a church, living for his story, not ours, on a daily basis. As worshipers, walking and dwelling in community with one another and living the mission in our everyday lives. So I'm going to invite our worship team Uh, to come back up. I'm going to ask our prayer partners uh, to be at the front of the room and the back of the room. Um, If you're here today, even if you're visiting and you don't really know anybody yet, if there's something on your heart you would like prayer for, um, our prayer partners would would thoroughly enjoy the opportunity to get to pray with you um, and to maybe even share that request with the rest of our prayer team. Um, If you want a place just to to be quiet or you need to talk with somebody, our our prayer and counseling rooms, we have three of them. They're always open, just so you know that, if you need to just slip away and spend some time praying or talking. Um, If you want to stay seated while we sing, you're you're free to do that as well. For the rest of us, if you're ready to stand and sing, we'll do that. Let me pray, and then we'll respond. Um, Father, thank you for the very powerful reminder from Genesis 1, God, that that God, human beings were not an afterthought, um, God, not an accident, um, but Father, all of creation is really building up to day six when you create us, and, and Father, you've created us just so clearly from the scriptures, um, set apart from anything else that you created, uh, to do things and to be things that, that nothing else can do or be, and so God, we thank you that you've reminded us of that this morning, and so now... As we begin to respond and worship, we're reminded that our worth comes from being who's, who we belong to. That that's where our worth comes from, the fact that we're yours. That, God, you're the, you're the measure of what is truly beautiful. And that, God, as you work in our lives, you're transforming us into your image more and more that we might love the things you love and hate the things that you hate. God, this morning, would you do that supernatural work in us? Would you make us more like Jesus? We pray this in his name.